Welcome into Natchez Glen House Stories. This is a conversation with a very qualified person to explore something that has been on my mind for a moment. Joining me is Nick McCullough, who's a fantastic landscape designer in the Ohio Columbus area. We were just talking about a garden center that we both know that's been there for like 10,000 years. Let's get into this, Nick. I'm really curious of, of a subject from a grower perspective that I've had in the past. When you're meeting with clients, there's this balance of cool plant, interesting plant, this, all the varieties, but then there's the after you install it, design it kind of moment. How do you balance beauty with function? Is it client to client? Like just walk us through like that general thought yeah. process. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for having me. And yeah, I mean, it's it really, it is depends on the client. Um, you know, we're very fortunate where we're a design, build, maintain company. And so lots of times when we come into a situation, we know that, well, I would say 95% of the time we're going to be maintaining it afterwards. But granted, that doesn't mean I necessarily design high maintenance gardens. Um, a lot of times when we're coming into a situation, well, I'm lucky enough now in my career where people are coming to me for my style, right? So that's, you know, I think that's the point in which you, you think you, you've, you've made it and hopefully that's the case. Um, so that being said, I use a ton of grasses. Um, I think I think my biggest theming of, of the gardens that I design are what we call Midwest modern, and so they have a touch of good structure, a touch of, of a little bit more modern hardscapes, and then the planting is what I call organized chaos, right? So, um, so that is really the essence of where not everything needs to be crazy high maintenance. You might have uh, like a hedge that frames things, but or a globe that. Um, really, you know, like a glove box with the anchors, the garden. Um, but then from there on, you know, I'm really what I call um, painting within the lines or coloring within the lines, right? So that's where um, we can let some of my um, more naturalistic planting designs kind of come into play. So, so that being said, if, if we're not going to be maintaining the garden afterwards, I certainly take that into account. Um, but you know, when I use, a, I would say when I go into a garden design. We're, most of my gardens are at least 50 to 60 percent grasses so right then and there really low input as far as uh longevity of, of maintenance over the season and then you can throw in some a little bit more of the fussy things um like the the salvia or the nepeta that needs deadheaded over the or to cut back over the, the course of the season but you know the grasses are really holding it low input and then then the fussy stuff which is probably i'd say 15 to 20 percent maybe is what really you know organizes the space it makes it's the pretty part of the space right but it's not all flowers because that's um to me like, like a worst nightmare where you're constantly deadheading you're constantly um primping to make a garden beautiful i mean where do you we, land on that fact right because i've always i have this there's this balance right like is a landscape a garden is a garden the landscape yeah right it, it's this almost become an abstract at times yeah for sure do you have clients, or I'm sure you have, I'm going to ask this as sort of a leading question, Nick. Have you had a client who's like flower power, right? Who wanted yeah. that. And then the reality of that, they were mm. like, oh, I didn't yeah. know there'd be all this work <laughs> attached to that. Yeah. Have you had that experience? Oh, for, for sure. And we have some gardens that we maintain um, that are an immense amount of work. like. I'm talking a crew of four goes twice a week for, you know, half day. So basically a day a week that 
intense, you know, 150 foot long rose border. Granted, we inherited this garden to maintain. I didn't design it. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, and it is, you know, more of an English style, like, but it's intense. And the the resources that go into maintaining a garden like that, of uh, you know, uh, spraying for black spot or, you know, deadheading, deleafing to, you know, those sorts of things is just, it's beyond what I think is, is you know, what I think is appropriate for, for modern day gardening. I just don't think it's needed. I don't think you have to have a garden like that. And um, I guess the beauty, I guess beauty's definition is, is you know, is either beholder, right? So yeah, so it, it's just, and you it, mentioned grasses, and mm-hmm. were you? Because for those of you that don't know, people, I mean, come on, where where you been with the grass movement of the last twenty years or so? Yeah, is that something that you grew into? Did you start with that as something that was you know stylistically a choice, or did it become? Because sure. because clearly we were talking about, and we'll touch on this subject later too, that like the amount of breeding work that's been done in ornamental grasses is all time mm-hmm. high. If anything, it was a neglected group. And now there's so yeah. many that the palette is just broadened tremendously. Yeah. Well, you know, so it's one I remember my, so I grew up on a strawberry farm when I was a kid. So my, my parents are already always very um, entrepreneurial and very agricultural. And so that just came really natural to me. And I remember going to buy some ornamental grasses when I was say like, Oh, like eight years old. And we literally went to this guy's field where he raised grasses in a field and we went and dug our own. And it was, you know, miscanthus, I imagine, or something along those lines. And so I think that had a profound effect on me, you know, subconsciously at the time. And um, so that was just something that I, and I just always loved the graceful shape of that. Um, I grew up in, in Ohio, but I also grew up uh, for a short time in, in Iowa. And in a part of Iowa that was not flat, everyone thinks Iowa is just you know, dead flat. And it's certainly not. It has a lot of beautiful trout streams and naturalistic areas. And so I was very fortunate to be in an area where it had rolling hills and grass meadows. And so I remember just looking at these grass meadows and swaying with the wind and how beautiful that was. So I think I was really taking my cues from nature. Um, again, not conscious. And then as as I came into becoming a designer, I wanted to push the envelope of, of formality and then loose um, looseness coming to play. And I think grasses and hedging and grasses and um, modern architecture play so well together. And so I think it, I came to it from an artistic point of view then you know, later in life. And so, and then, like you said, the breeding from Hoffman, from, you know, just all oh, these amazing, from uh, Kurt Blumel, like just the introductions of these grasses that we've, we've seen or saw in Gardens Illustrated or we saw Pete using, you know, many years, you know, way before the rest of us could. And then realizing that most of these grasses that are amazing are um, American natives. And now they're being reintroduced back to us, I think is an, an amazing thing. Um, I think that's, and, you know, our summers in Columbus are hot I and mean, just hot and dry. And so, you know, why push the envelope with something that needs constant, you know, drip water and, fertilization stuff when you could have a grass that you know almost the more you neglect it the better they do so i think that's really where you know my love for for grasses came in because they're just so low input and such maximum output do you find that they're 
we've seen like this transition as far as usage on grasses go that a lot of the early ones were bigger, more mm. verticality to them. Oh but, yeah. But sure. now we're seeing the front of the border, you know, kind of grasses yeah. come in yeah. and you're going to help me here, Nick, cause I'm going to write it down. Cause I've been yeah. wondering about this. Give me, do you have anything off the top of your head? That's like front of the border, smaller yeah. form grass that you really like for texture and oh. movement. Oh, it says Larry autumnalis. Yeah. Okay. Autumn more grass is, is an absolute go-to. Um, Terra, Sporobolus, um, Terra, fantastic, fantastic, um, grass, you know, it just, it does amazing. And it's, you know, we're talking, you know, knee height, I mean, or below and, um, yeah, Deschampsia septosa, um, the tufted hair grass, a really cool and a little bit, you're getting a little bit to meet, you know, mid border there, but, um, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, it's such amazing grasses that, when that you, just deserve to be forefront. When you very first started getting clients in that direction, mm-hmm. before where you're at now, where now your clients, mm-hmm. you have an established style, mm-hmm. selling them on the word grasses, yeah. was there a blank stare for a moment coming back at you? Because when some people hear grasses, they're like, what do you mean? Yeah. The, the lawn grass? Like, what are we talking yeah. about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Certainly, there's a bit of it can be a bit of stigma, and especially now with you know, Miscanthus um, having moved around to different parts of the country. Um, so I think it's all about how you approach it. Um, I approach design from a very artistic point of view, so not I'm not. Some of the times, my clients don't even have, get a plant listness. I mean, they don't really care about the plant list. They look at the overall shape. They they allow me to fill in. I th- I'm sure, certainly at the beginning. Um, you know, there are probably a few more revisions than I do now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I guess I never really let people push me back, push back too far on it because I know it's going to be beautiful long-term. So um, that's really why we get the clients we do. So how many yeah. clients do you have, you know, and, and I yeah. this is the form of like, do we have clients in America? Cause this is something that always concerns me because my background at a large nursery. Mm-hmm. You know, I was always concerned, are we building gardeners, right? Like mm-hmm. the future of, of gardening, not just in America, but truly in the world, you know, we've seen more, you know, super talented people like yourself. And are we seeing less gardeners in that historical kind of context of a, what a person, you know, the person, the homeowner who goes mm-hmm. out, they do maintain like a, a, a flower heavy garden. Do you run across that person? Where do you think we are with that in on the whole? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's there. I mean, there. I think the trends are amazing. Like right, this what COVID did for for gardening and garden centers and people getting back out. But what does that mean? Are we are we landscaping? Are we gardening? Um, I see a lot of vegetable gardening. Right, I see a ton of that. Of that what that really hands on gardening and and here we really call ourselves gardeners because of the the intricacies and the time we put into maintaining um or the or the the knowledge we bring into maintaining i think landscape certainly can 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 be a dirty word um because of um you know just what we call the fly by night people mobile and go right and it just doesn't have the romance to it nick no it's just like the words themselves the 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 sound garden yeah lands but you know i think i think there's great gardeners coming i think there are great gardeners out there i i know a ton of fantastic people through um 
uh, the APLD, the Association of Professional Landscape Designers, the Perennial Plant Association, and you know, young people who are up and coming who are certainly way more gardeners than they are landscapers. And I think we can, you know, thank you know, people like Pete Udolf to, um, you know, you could look at Pete and you could see like, okay, is, is he gardening or is he landscaping? Um, you know, but when I walk the high line, I, I consider that a garden and not a landscape. I, I consider a garden amongst, you know, modernism of these beautiful buildings, right? And it's way more of, a, of an intimate feeling than it is a landscape to me. You know, when you walk through the Lori Garden in Millennium Park, it's, that's a garden and not a landscape. So, you know, no, I think. See if you'll go with me on this one, because we're going to take a an, an bit of an abstract view of this kid. So mm-hmm. buckle in. So Edward Lutchens does mm-hmm. the big install at Dixter. Yeah. And then there's this really unique thing that happens that you and I will never get to see. Or maybe you and I will get to see it, but it'll be like our own place. Mm-hmm. Then Christopher Lloyd has 80 years to build on that what I yeah. think we would call a landscape, what Lutchens yep. did. And mm-hmm. then Christopher Lloyd gets to garden. Do, mm-hmm. do you think that sometimes that's almost like the, if we had that same owner, same person, that that's almost like the natural evolution, that there's that initial yeah. install, but then it evolves into just the organic change of time and plants changing and overgrowing and yeah. moving. That then it maybe has that moment where after a, one of your own have even been installed and designed that then becomes like garden. Is there that yeah. natural evolution between the two? I mean, I, I think I think you nailed it because you know, the landscape's the initial thing that goes in, right? The landscape is the thing. The garden garden is a living thing itself, right? The garden becomes becomes something in and of itself, right? It evolves, it changes. And I think that's certainly it. I think certainly comes with time and you know i I love the way that that you took that that you know yeah it 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 takes time it takes evolution it takes the person you know now we're with fergus you know at dexter Mm -hmm. specifically i mean the the garden is changing from almost almost you know every season it's evolving and so yeah i think that is and i think that is the mentality that's i think you People want who want a landscape, want a landscape, and they never want it to change. It is what it is, right? It's there. It's like building a house. The walls are the walls, and that's it. A garden evolves. A garden changes. A garden, you know, has seasonality. A garden brings. Uh, it gives back. A garden, you know, thinks of the ecology of the space. Certainly. So, yeah, I think I think that's certainly different. Where do you feel the the native? you know that we came up you know we we like to create a lot of words in the horticulture world like native art <laughs> things we like do. that right we love to talk to each other we love acronyms and we love to sort of create <laughs> our own languages it's very jargon heavy the uh, horticulture yeah. world so where do you do you think that because i i worry sometimes that we go too far with it right and then we we sort of box ourselves in to it i think the the ideology behind it is great, but then I worry that we sort of also give off this take that these being natives mm. somehow also means they don't take time or that they're completely oh, okay. disease resistant and the bugs see them and go, nah, that's all right. They're natives. We can't chew yeah. on them. And they move yeah. on to the next thing. Do you think <laughs> sometimes there, we could maybe have moved too far with communication, yeah. at least on that? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah I mean, 
I think uh, marketing can be a major advantage and a huge disadvantage to lots of plants, right? And I think, you know, the the world's changing, right? I mean, honestly, the climates are different. So, like, if a plant works, it works, right? I I don't think we we should not hem ourselves into being exclusively native. There are fantastic plants that give back in wonderful ways. Um, and yeah, native bugs eat native plants, right? I mean, <laughs> let's think about this, right? Native deer eat native plants. So I think that's, um, it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And I think if a plant works, it works. Um, you know, there are great old world perennials that have been in the United States for hundreds of years now that do well, that don't run, that don't, that don't take over. I think, yeah, we need to be cautious on introductions sometimes, but you know, we also don't need to be exclusively native, and I'm certainly not one that that does that. I think the natives that work are fantastic, and I love some of these these um, you know native R's that are coming out from the production of of the the breeding programs. And you know, I certainly think that's a yeah, but you know, we can't hem ourselves in for sure. So you also have a nursery attached to what you're doing now too. Right? Yeah, you have I do. your own nursery. So yeah. how has that so we, changed? Like what you, I mean, you know, cause there's this as a designer, sometimes, you know, you're limited to what yeah. growers are growing, but now you have a little bit more latitude or is it just giving you more headaches, Nick? You know, it's one of those. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's pure, purely by design is why we have this because, um, I was traveling in Europe. Um, I was, you know, I read Gardens Illustrated and I was seeing all these amazing plants and I was just looking at like, I can't buy any of these, but they're completely hardy. They're completely beautiful. Um, you know, and like, so I'm like, let's grow myself. And so that's really how it evolved. Um, and basically, you know, we're, yeah, we have a nursery, but we're not open for retail, right? All, everything is grown is for our own consumption, our own clients. And, and for me literally to pick to put into our, my designs. And so, um, so I get to control my palate. You know, I think the big one of the biggest dangers that we have is that so many perennials are grown for um, to look in a pot, to look good sitting on a shelf, to, Nick, to transport. I was just well. talking about this this morning <laughs> in an Instagram live. So let's let's uh, let's man. let's dive into this topic for oh, a second. Yeah. So I, I was using Epimedium as mm -hmm. a, a really great example of this. There could not be a more awkward looking plant oh, as a yeah. one gallon perennial sitting yeah. at an independent garden center somewhere in the country and its odds of selling make. are like 5%, right? Yes. What was it for you? I'm sure you had a few. The plants that frustrated you, right? That you were like, hey, I, I, what? why are we not able to source yeah. this? Was there a particular few plants that really motivated you to do that? Yeah. Oh, the Eryngiums. Um, you know, eryngiums were um, yuccafolium. I, I now grow agavifolium. You know, these these great you know perennials that you know are truly native that attract the pollinators we need in the gardens, right? And they're just they were you know first of all almost wiped off the face of the earth in the United States, and and then you can buy and they're so easy to grow, right? You'd like they, they you can seed them, you can do whatever. So not being able to find those really pushed me to, to, um, to start to grow them myself. And still, like, still you, you can't, I mean, an Eryngium yucca folium in a pot in a garden center looks like 
Like it's it's would never ever sell, and that's what you know. That's my my, my perennials are swans, right? I mean, they're the ugly or the ugly duckling. Yeah. You know, they don't look good until they go on the ground. They don't look good for a year when they're in the ground sometimes, but the potential, what they're going to turn into, and what they're going to give back, is everything. And that that's what it's all about. Does that give you some creative freedom with that? Oh. Number one. And Mm -hmm. also, you know, I always go back to like Hamamelis is the the, the greatest example of this in the history of all woody, Mm -hmm. small tree, shrub kind of world. Mm -hmm. It's blooming at a time where no garden center has any customers or foot traffic. So therefore, it never becomes popular, despite the Mm -hmm. fact that there's all of these cultivars out there in the world that collectors have sort of kept going. Oh, yeah. Is there both? Because for me, when I find these plants, I get a chance to source them and we've started to offer some plants retail now that I almost, maybe I go too far with this, Nick, and maybe I do, but uh, the collector community, the small group of people that have kept these plants in the world, I feel a certain debt to. So when I get Mm -hmm. to use them or share about them, it makes me feel even better because if those people weren't doing these things they literally would have disappeared because the commerce doesn't support them right the nursery industry retail side of it doesn't help those plants do you ever get that same kind of sense about when you're working with something like that oh my gosh i i i almost it it gets really personal now i almost feel like it's my duty to to put these out into the world absolutely and and i i feel the same sentiment of you know you know these very well these species very well could have been gone and there are many things that have gone to extinction and your you know, non-breeding or laying dormant, in, you know, in a seed bank somewhere. Right. And so certainly, I mean, the fact that I get to use some of these plants and, and bring them back into um, popularity, you know, it is, is awesome. And, you know, you think about, you know, the collections that DuPont's had of unique things and, and all these events that were, you know, survived or is, you did, we can we it's almost depressing to think about in some 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 sense of the well, word, and, so. and it's like we we have these two trains right that many times i think what has hurt the horticulture world is it has become a slave to like commerce mm-hmm. and you know beauty and even mm-hmm. form have become sort of irrelevant like you said it's about yeah. what does this look like on a bench at a garden center mm-hmm. in may Everything else, what does it look like two months later? Who cares? What does it look like two years later, even less? And for you as a designer, how were you, when you were, before you were doing any of your own production at all, growing wise, would you have those conversations, you know, with your suppliers, you know, Mm. what was that like, you know, was, was there a give and take on that kind of subject with them? Oh yeah. I mean, certainly there were, I mean, I remember there were times like 10 years ago, we would go back to grasses and I used to be able to, they, someone had a couple flats of Cicillary autumnalis available and I bought them and I think they were custom grown or something at a time. And then the next year I went to, back to buy more and they're like, oh yeah, that just, it doesn't sell for, so we're just not going to grow that anymore. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, if you guys create these lists of perennials and, you know, read what's going on out there and what's coming down the pipeline you know, they would sell, you guys have to make the market for, you have to like educate people, like, you know, be the ones to push it. And so I think, you know, now with, with 
Pinterest or with Instagram. And, you know, if you follow the right people, like there's certainly this this big movement to to get these perennials or these cool plants back out there. Um, you know, certainly there's just as much bad going on out there as well as, as far as pushing that. Plants th- so there's the balance, right? There's, there's the yeah. balance. Uh, uh, Dr. Armitage, who's on a lot, he yeah. has this phrase that he uses, uh, you know, juice. Do yeah. the people who are talking about these things actually have the credibility to yeah. be talking about these things? Do you yeah. run into that in your you know, interaction with clients or just your own opinion on mm-hmm. we do have a lot of things being said sometimes, Nick, and mm. I don't call out people by name, but occasionally yeah. I hear things and my head starts to wobble with how wrong it is. Uh, do you yes. have those same feelings on it? Oh, gosh. It makes my head spin. Like you just. I think it would be such a simple like turnaround if we could just stop like some of the the grandstanding on some of these plants that should just go away right like some some plants should just not be in production but give us one what do you think uh, what, give me stella dora day lily right you, know, you, you drive past any any parking lot and what do you see you have my wife has an amazing theory that stella dora and a knockout rose were created by the mafia because like they're just printing money. This is just like they're just booming, booming. You know, every every parking lot in Columbus is just Stellador Dillies and Knockout Roses, and they're always planted together. So, well, like and someone, here's what's like, so sad about it: Hemerocalus, Hemerocalus, Daylily. There's great, interesting cultivars. There's that are amazing, out there that are fantastic, amazing. and yet, yeah. you're totally right. And I, I think that's my concern about it: is that we have dumbed it down oh to such God. a standpoint. That we're only seeing these things. Uh, often, like yeah. I, I grow a lot of dahlias for cufflowers, mm-hmm. and people are always like, "Should I grow dahlias?" And my, we're, we're sort of not looking at the question correctly. Do you have the soil to grow dahlias? Is a better yeah. question. Do you have the yeah. time to grow dahlias? Is a better yeah. question than yeah. should I grow dahlias? You know, yeah. and I feel like things like daylily. And so many of these groups, you know, hydrangea, obviously, especially even now, paniculata has become like this de facto yeah. hydrangea in a summer yeah. garden area. Do yeah. you think that it's about how do how do the growers how do we get past that, Nick? I guess is the question, right? There's clearly a uh, shout out to my friends in Michigan at Walters Gardens. Mm-hmm. They grow great daylily cultivars, oh, but I, I but I still know their number one seller is still Stella Dioro. So yeah. is that up to us, people like yourself, people like myself, yeah. just to educate? I, yeah, educate. Um, you know, when I, generally when I share information on social, I try to list, be as specific as possible. And I get so many, you know, specific plant questions. And, um, you know, it's gonna, it's gotta get to the point where they stop you know, putting a million in production every year, right? And just because they know they're going to sell. Because ultimately, we need to create diversity in what's out there. Yeah, I don't know. It's it is like as consumers, we have to we have to you know give our opinions a little bit more. Yeah. And uh, but you know the thing is, it's when they're when they're out and they're so visible. And some you know I think 
you know, let's be honest, not everyone has fantastic taste. And there is like, oh, well, I just I love this yellow daylily. I just need 10,000 of them. Apparently, that's what I'm supposed to do. So I don't know. Yeah, I think as designers, we have to change it. As growers, we have to change it. We have to change the dialogue and just create diversity. Where do you but, deal with as far as the commerce budget of things go? Because mm-hmm. I think that's one of the the unspoken truths of even something like Stella Dioro, that one of the reasons why it maintains popularity is because it's also the cheapest, right? Yeah. It's the, you know, you can buy them. It's the cheapest because it's a commodity. Exactly. Because there's just so many of them. Yeah. That's it. And when we have that, I, I, I guess my question from a designer standpoint is, we've got, as I like to refer to them as, Omdipas and Loess, the two French companies. Mm-hmm. You've yeah. got them <laughs> and they're such major influencers in the consumer yeah. mindset of plants do you feel that it has maybe devalued not your skill not your talent but what a plant cost essentially has been influenced greatly by them in the last 25 years or so yeah i mean it's dangerous because you know it's easy for those commodity plants to be sold the price they're being sold at right because there's just so many of them out on the market um you know, like we're talking about the plant collectors, the plant collectors see the value of what a good, hard to grow or hard to find or unusual plant costs. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it certainly comes down to economics, but somehow we got to take the economics out of good taste, too. Right? And and just because things aren't, you know, are growing in smaller quantities doesn't mean they're harder to grow necessarily. I mean, it's certainly not the case. Some of these perennials are you can grow from seed. It's just a matter of getting them out into the world. And um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, no, a devaluation. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, and yeah. I have been, as someone who has 150 Acer Palmatum cultivars on the property, <laughs> uh, and, yeah. you know, I, I think that plant is in many ways representative of yeah. the issue, right? That you yeah. have Acer Palmatum blood good or purpureum, red leaf, blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, blah. They're all the same. Um, do you feel, I'm going to make, I'm going to make you judge, not necessarily executioner on this one, but just judge and jury. Do you think as an industry, we've done a good job in telling those stories? You know, I, I see from a social media perspective, I get a lot of people that are like, an Iris Germanica is an Iris Germanica. They're purple. Mm. My grandma had them. I don't want those mm. when we're missing out on the other 700 mm. cultivars that probably exist within 100 square miles of each of us, right? Yeah. Are we doing our part from an industry perspective? Because sometimes I agree with what you said that there's a lot of people on social media who are starting to do that. Mm-hmm. But the industry side of the business mm-hmm. to me doesn't do a great job utilizing these platforms. Yeah, Oh, absolutely. I mean, our nursery industry is so slow to adapt right so i mean years behind years and years behind in general i'm generalizing there are certainly ones that are fantastic so yeah i mean no there's wonderful stories i mean there's wonderful wonderful plants um yeah i mean your grandma has an irish grew irish germanica so so you pick pick the one that you like and you grow it and influence your grandkids right i mean Instead of growing the blue one, grow the orange one, you know, you know, so like, that's it. Like people need to, um, 
people are so I think people are so scared to make as consumers are so scared to to uh, make a mistake when if they're new to gardening, right? And I think what we need to get out there is that that there is variety that you can put your own style on it, and I think that's where where we're missing between uh, consumers and our our nurseries are that we just and I, I you know the nursery industry is inherently um, older right it's generally run by older individuals who are getting out and we need the young blood the young merchandising the young storytellers to to you know rise up and really tell these stories on these plants that need to become the the plants of our next generation and well it's it's, it's an interesting fact that i bring up occasionally there's a very popular instagram account that exists mm -hmm. in the pacific northwest Mm -hmm. shows a lot of pictures of dahlias yeah, well, and, many, that per, and that many. person has <laughs> hundreds of thousands of followers, Nick. Yeah, Dr. probably a million. <laughs> Dr. Alan Armitage has like a thousand. Yeah. You know, it, it's one of those yeah. things where uh, it, it's interesting because for like people like yourself, people like myself, you know, there's like these luminaries in the mm -hmm. horticulture world over the last mm -hmm. like 20, 25 years yeah. that you and I know. But many of the social media popular accounts yeah. aren't those people, you know? Mm -hmm. So how is it just going to be that we just need this next wave like you're talking about? Do yeah. those people need to become more active? You said there's a bit of a generational gap there, but how do we traverse that, right? We have these people that probably you and I know and have listened to and literally grown up under the tutelage of. Oh, look up to. Yeah, That's absolutely. it, right? Yeah. These like mentory kind of figures even from afar, uh, like Adrian Bloom is somebody for mm -hmm. me that one of the, yeah. the first things that got me interested in conifers was the work that he does at Foggy Bottom. And yeah. I was like, wait a second. I, I, okay, I see. But most people don't know who he is, Nick. Let's, I'll be, yeah. you know, compared to our friend yeah. in like the Pacific Northwest. Like, is it important that people like you and I, and I know you've already done this in our conversation, touchstone those mentor figures to bring attention to? Oh, them? my gosh. Yeah. Oh, certainly. And, you know, and unfortunately, you know, we need the, the, the correct people to be in line right behind them to, to pick up the ball and run, you know, certainly. And, you know, I think there are certainly, um, you know, cut flowers is such a huge deal right now. But man, that's, as you know, that's tough business. It looks great in pictures. It looks great in books. But holy cow, I think what we need to be really careful of is to make sure people succeed initially to, when they're getting into gardening. And I think that person is doing a good job of creating huge interest, massive interest. And I believe there's a TV show coming out this fall that is going to go along with that. And so, um, you know, I think that's great. Now we need to harness and get the correct information out there. And, you know, you know, I, I you know, I think our old stall hearts of, you know, professors and people who wrote the literally wrote the book on these things. Are they going to be the forefront? No. But, you know, I think there are certainly great people like Jimmy Blake out there um from from ireland who is you know pushing the envelope on what is possible with plants and getting people excited right and it's not it's truly not just gardeners it's it's all kinds of it's everybody so i think it is going to take that next generation to really push because you know at some point like 
someone needs to start a new story, start a new dialogue. And I think, you know, the social media, I think that's like, it's the, it's the best way to get out there. I have been very vocal. Go figure kids. On <laughs> my concern with the fact yeah. that I, I think we conflated two subjects based upon like the cut flower thing that you mentioned mm-hmm. that a farm first off, I don't know where we came up with this pastoral narrative that like, oh my God, what a successful, awesome business running a farm is, you know, go talk to some people in the Midwest about the the lucrative business (laughs) that is running agricultural based commodity farming. And I, I often say this phrase, Nick, and I just want to get your feedback on this, that why couldn't we just call it a garden? Like, like yeah. w- w- so many of the people that have started these small scale flower farms, yeah. finger quotes, why didn't we just call it a garden? Take the commerce pressure off of it. Take the aesthetic of farm and rows and l- let's diversify what we're growing. Like, let's, yeah. I-, I think that to me sounds like a better path to becoming a lifelong gardener versus somebody that tried to run a farm for a few years and then discovered, holy, this is rough. That's a lot. Oh, I got to sell them for five cents a piece. What are you talking about? Like, yeah, I know. I think that's it. I mean, I, and I, I love that, that angle because, um, it, I mean, it's tough. Farming is tough. Farming is tough. Land's, land's expensive now, right? It's, there's, there's no cheap way into this unless you, you have like a truly hobby micro farm in your backyard. I mean, um yeah it's 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 dangerous um it, it can be really fun it's addicting it's a great way to blow through tons and tons of money real quick so, very much so right? uh, <laughs> many a nursery has done the same thing right there's yeah. there's many people who yeah. and i'm sure you you could name some of the same people i probably could who were super passionate plant collectors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then believed that right behind that was going to be like a business of selling yeah. these specialty, hard to find, rare yeah. plants. And it's just not, you know, and as God bless, like we already mentioned, those people have kept a lot of these plants going. Mm-hmm. But the business side of trying to sell um, a brand new peony introduction for $500 for a two to three eye root division uh, it just doesn't have a lot of business economics to it um i want to transition us over to plant talk right because we've talked on some big subjects let's sort of mm-hmm. get it down here to this you talked about grasses but now i'm going to put your put you in the flower lane for a second mm-hmm. things that you find yourself in the last few years utilizing that are true flowering plants that you've really enjoyed you believe or or either your own personal favorites or greatly underused at the very least yeah yeah um alliums you know herbaceous alliums are huge you know in in my world um which cult i think it's a, um so my my, my goats i mean obviously millennium is the one that gets all the press right but they're um you know, Brett Horvath out of Intrinsic is doing an amazing job. Um, I think we need to be careful. It, it, be, it can become the new Heucro very quickly. Um, Wait a so, second. Uh, Do you think there's too many Heucros? 
Nick. I mean, uh, could, I mean, what? you know, when, when you run out of foods to name them after, you know, yeah. there's a problem, right? When we're yeah. like creme brulee number one through seven thousand, and yeah. we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, okay, my my favorite allium cultivar is Pink Planet. It's great, much taller, sturdier, much larger bloom. Really cool, a later bloomer. Uh, August asteroids um is really cool coming you know it's it's mine's just about ready to bloom now where my millennium is like pretty much wrapping up i think you know that is really amazing that you know they can extend the bloom season so much longer um chivetta is truly an ornamental chive really chivette chivette um a, a, a fantastic bloom um really beautiful um has it taken some time for people because we have the large globe alliums that sure. weren't the most reliable for people mm-hmm. do you feel yeah. like there's been that transition you know what there was like a gladiator they all have these like you know mm-hmm. large mount everest you know they all have mm-hmm. those names um and getting sort of like okay yeah yeah, yeah. not those alliums as much but more oh, so these I think, perennialized i alliums. think confusion is still out there i yeah. think to the novice gardener is always going to exist. Yeah, they they will never understand the difference. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I think they both have their place. But man, talk about a flower that gives back. I mean, that's really you know one of those. My absolute all time favorite flowering plant is Calamantha Montrose White. It is like my go to. Um, you know, it's not like one you cut and bring inside the house, but it's it's beautiful as a flower within the garden and um, the ecology of what, what it gives back to a garden that, that attracting, you know, all the pollinators and or giving food from, from basically the beginning of July till, till freeze is amazing. It's really, really amazing. Um, salvias. I, I, I generally can't get enough salvias. I, I, Cardon is my, my, my go-to, um, but certainly there are wonderful um other salvias out there that I think are really noteworthy. Where do you um, land on Nepeter right now? I was just, yeah, I just um, got in Blue Prelude, which I think is from Terra Nova mm-hmm. Nursery and Dan Himes yep. out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Walter's Gardens currently has a lot of them as well. Mm-hmm. Where do you, do you, you know, we had Walker's Low forever, yeah. which was a yeah. really big Plant. Giant. Yeah. yeah. Those, those but they weren't effects. they weren't heavy flowered. They could get a little mill yeah. by Augusty. Um, where do you do you find yourself leaning on those at all with some of these newer introductions? Yeah. Um right now, I yeah. I, it's a good plant. It's a good plant. It need it can't it's not is it a standalone plant? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, it's, they still have to be mixed into a border to, to have something of interest. They still, you know, even all these new ones that come out, um, summer, I have, I have summer magic in my garden. I've been trialing out and it was, you know, kind of pushed as, um, like a self deadheading, you know, regenerate, reblooming. Uh, it still, still needs to be cut back to really get that real good second push. Well, and that's so. one of those, those moments, right. Where, um, like we saw this a little lot, not a little, I'm being kind a lot with echinacea too yeah Yeah. you know the when we we got out of just the pure purpurea parentage we lost Mm -hmm. reliability we lost Mm -hmm. some cold tolerance you know it got a little wacky do you feel like with things um, like i was trialing this year uh, an oregonum um Mm -hmm. that has been okay 
but much like mm-hmm. with the Nepeta that you're talking about, it needs a hard cut to really oh, yeah. look good throughout the course of the year that yeah. that sometimes that's the difference between uh, seeing it like in a nursery production setting versus seeing mm-hmm. it like in the real world, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's where landscaping and gardening comes into play, right? I think it circles back to the beginning of our conversation is a gardener gets it, right? A gardener knows like, and when I was reading the description of the summer magic, I knew it was too good to be true, right? But I had to try it as a as a gardener. Um, yeah, I think that's that's where sometimes it's worth it, and sometimes you know having you know, I just I just don't make a whole garden out of something where that you got to cut back, and for three weeks it kind of looks like you, you know it got like a really bad haircut, you know. And so I think that's where the art and skill of mixing things together is key, and you're not putting all your eggs in one basket is, is really huge when it comes to, to planting out these gardens. So, you know, I, it's funny, but those plants can give, you know, a whole genus, a bad name too in, in a heartbeat. Very and, uh, much so. Very <laughs> much so. And, and now like I, again, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, Euchra and for, for where you're at, for where I'm at here in Tennessee, it's much of the same yeah. issue that, yeah, you how do you approach that right so we had this moment with euchra and then eucarellas where we had Mm -hmm. the west coast parentage which was not very heat and humidity tolerant at all and the plants just look like absolute dog crap by the time they got spring how do you you know do you use your own personal garden now that you have the nursery do you bring some stuff in that seems interesting just to trial your process yeah i'll get I've been trialing stuff for people for years and years where they'll send me flats of things and mix uh, mix things. Um, I've always, so at our, at our studio, we have about an acre and a half of gardens that we trial things out, um, you know, in, in a garden setting, um, not in a trial bed setting. And so we, we put them through the paces. We, we, you know, we, we don't like neglect them, but we don't like over pamper them either. So um, I've learned a lot from, from that. Um, and then my personal garden, yeah. Um, my wife wanted to make sure that our garden didn't become a trial garden. So I had, I had to uh, submit a plan to her for approval. Um, so um, My wife barely notices that we have two and a half acres of gardens, Nick. I'll be honest with you. She started like last year for some reason was the first year my wife was like, you know, we have all this stuff outside. I was like, yeah. where have you been the last 10 years? Like, what happened? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, she wanted to make sure it wasn't a collection and it didn't become an orphanage as well as everything, yep. every, you know, limping home plant that we got off a, a, a client's property. So, um, so there's a little bit of it at, at home. I'll, I'll definitely mix in some, some newer alliums that I really went up to watch um, specifically at home. But, you know, other than that, it's really around the nursery and around, um, I, you know, after I've grown about two years here at the studio, that um, I feel definitely free to put them in the clients' gardens. And so, and our, certainly our clients know that um, sometimes things are really going to excel. And sometimes, you know, you know, one thing might, I, I, you know, editing is a huge thing in a garden, right? You got to feel free to edit. And I think that's one thing that is not, um, people, people are just too afraid to, to change it up or to just admit that something didn't work, right? Yeah. It didn't work. Well, swap it out. And it's what <laughs> it's really what makes gardening and plants fantastic is that it is always changing. There is that exploration component of a garden that matures mm-hmm. 
there is there are things that I planted 10 years ago that literally yeah. I feel like just now the intent that I had when I planted it yeah. is oh, is coming together. So let me let me branch us in that same exact topic because I wanted to cover like trees that you really enjoy mm-hmm. for like more modern settings where we're not just putting these, mm-hmm. you know, 7,000 foot tall estate trees every two feet from mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. What, how do you balance that? Like what trees do you like right now to create form and structure, but aren't going to become these giant, you know, beasts in the future, but yeah. also like the commerce of that. Cause like, how do you source that kind of material sometimes when it may be a, a tree that's slightly harder to find, but you need it to be at, x caliper or x you know height for the project you're working on yeah oh it's tough especially now with you know the economic boom we've had over the past few years um you know there are very few sources of really good unique trees and i think we've you know the tree nurseries and tree breeders have become amazing at doing street trees right or or maybe even some trees that shouldn't be street trees uh, of big big shade trees but Let's be honest, there's only so much room to plant massive street trees or shade trees. So, um, you know, it, I actually, we grow, we have in our nursery, we, we grow ourselves. I have a field, um, uh, one of my, my go-to tree as for architectural feature, and that's Carpinus betulus. And that's of, you know, varying, varying sizes. And, or, or I'm sorry, very, varying cultivars. Um, Franz Fontaine's a, a nice, much tighter um, habit. I, we we're, we pleach them in the in the field to get a really strong um, specimen form. So when we dig them and take them, they're pre they're pre trained, right? So I think architecture that's a great one. Um, Slender silhouette, um, you know, sweet gum is awesome. It's a really you know, crazy tight. Um, you know, some people are still afraid to use sweet gums, but you know, and then I love um, really airy. Um, uh salix uh, siberica alba uh, which is you know a silver leafed um, willow is a stunning stunning kind of almost like a ghost-like figure in a garden that, that when the light hits it just right it's just beautiful with the silver um, sheen to it so so because we can't get them um you know we, we grow a lot of them ourselves as well it's same story as as our perennial nursery we we, we dig and take them right to our clients properties I know that doesn't help the masses, but no, I think I think it points to the issue of for those of you that don't know. First off, you haven't been paying attention enough, people, because I mention this every second episode. (laughs) But most of the large production in the United States for nursery material ended up in Oregon. Yeah, and it's not like uh, you know, like Lake County, Ohio, used to be. A, you know, a relatively no, decent nursery yeah, yeah. area down here in Tennessee, McMinnville, Tennessee used to be mm-hmm. similar, but not as much these days. Uh, and some of that material that Nick is talking about, if you needed it, you needed to get it somehow on a tractor trailer from Oregon. It's not the most economic oh, thing. You need to buy a semi truck load at a time. I mean, yes. honestly, it's just, it's cost prohibitive. And, and honestly, and do you Is find that, that that was part of that too for you? You know, growing yeah. your own, your oh, own tree material was an economic choice as much as anything. Oh, both. Yeah, both. And don't get me wrong. We have fantastic nurseries, some fantastic nurseries here in Ohio. We support local nurseries as, as in, local being Ohio, you know, as much as we can. But sometimes it's, the variety is just not out there. Well, you know, Klein Nurseries here and I think say Klein, you know, which is in Lake County, is run very similar to an Oregon-based, you know, 
amazing cultivars, amazing species. But some of these things are just, they take forever. I mean, you talk about the 10 year investment of, you know, planting and, you know, forget about it and then come back and check it on in 10 years. Some of these are just so slow. And that's, of course, the things that we want, right? The things that are the hardest to grow and take the longest to fill in. I, I, had, so, a, um, I had a designer in Connecticut, Western Connecticut, one year. Mm-hmm. And he asked me for uh, a Pinus parviflora, Fukuzumi, okay. that was okay. 16 feet tall. And oh, yeah. I explained to him, I said, do you recognize that if I could find said tree, this would probably be a 55-year-old tree. (laughs) Like, where do you think these magic trees exist? Like, we're willing to invest seven to 10 years in growing something. 55 years, we're not so much down there. I think we lose some money on that one. uh, Just a tad, right? We've (laughs) lost some employees over time. George retired 20 years ago. Um, How do you you balance that, right? Like, when you have um, a particular client or a vision that you create, that you're like, I know what I want in my mm-hmm. brain, right? Do you have yeah. to go, um, oh, uh, uh, Patterson Nursery in Oregon with someone who sort mm-hmm. of developed a reputation behind like sourcing these like yeah. unfindable trees? Do you ever put yourself into that kind of position, Nick? Accidentally? Yeah, I generally, I generally, <laughs> I try not to because I've been let down so many times, like so many times. Like they're just unicorns, right? They're they're just like how much time do you want to search for a unicorn? Like it, it's so I tend to you know I will save a spot every now and then for like an uber specimen, but generally I have that specimen in my possession before it's going into design, um, and that it does happen. Like it does. I will walk onto a nursery and like oh be in like the back 40 or somewhere and they're like oh we're about ready to burn this field we just can't get rid of these you know these trees and they're like i'm like are you are you? i will take every single one of them like don't just dig them i'll take them you know we'll discuss price later type deals because like sometimes people just don't realize what they have and they see like you know maybe a, a carpinus that was coppiced off you know by a deer you know, and, you know, now has seven leaders coming out of it. And I'm just like, you know, this, the choir singing in my mind as that, you know, I look at this thing and, and, you know, they're just like, oh, this isn't worth anything. Do you, know, you so. try to work more so directly with growers like that yourself? Oh, yeah. 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 That, you know, generally our, our whole business models to like kind of cut out the whole resale whole or you know, re-wholesalers just because like, it just doesn't work well sometimes. You know, I'm not saying that we have some great, a couple of great suppliers that are wholesalers. It's just, I also know where they're getting everything. If, and if I'm going to buy from, you know, from there, it's just, it makes sense for me to, to sometimes buy that way. So as we wrap up here and I always like to get, you know, hate direct messages from people occasionally. <laughs> do, you, do you think in some ways, you know, for those of you that don't know, like what Nick was just referring to was the way this historically had worked in the nursery industry forever, essentially, was there were growers and then there were uh, brokers slash re-wholesalers between sometimes grower and end client. And end client could mean independent garden center, landscape design, installation, like what Nick does. Do you think that that communication, that was something that I experienced in running a large grower nursery, it mm-hmm. was not always the best 
you know, we, Mm -hmm. you were looking for like what you're talking about, but we were hearing it sometimes just through like a sales rep's prism of what was going on. And, and many times because of what you also explained, the lag for people who have to grow a tree for seven to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like you can go back people. There's no do overs. Oh, you yeah. know, we got to go back and it turned out what we planted 10 years ago is not actually the thing we should have yeah. planted. It's not what I wants right now. And <laughs> do you think that communication between people like yourself and those growers is, is vital both for you, but for them also? Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely. And I think the good, the smart growers are paying attention. They, they have a good grasp on what's going on on social media. They see what people are doing. They're, they're looking beyond their borders. You know, like we said, um, you know, the demographic of, of nurseries are, are older, right? And so that we're, cha- we're changing, um, changing hands now. They're going different, a different route, like as far as ownership. And so, like, I think we need to really push the envelope and support these, these nurseries that are, are, Sometimes it's just, you know, there's just a major lag between, you know, consumers and, 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 you know, I guess, I guess growers and end user. Right. So, um, as we wrap up, as we wrap up here, Nick, I'm going to go, we're going to go fast. Okay. We're going to go fast. I'm just going to give you, I'm going to give you four plants. Okay. Oh, I don't know if you love these plants, hate these plants. They're your favorite plants. Your okay. favorite plants. I have no idea. We're just going to call this a lightning round because otherwise I have okay. to ask you a cheesy question. Like what are okay. your five favorite shade perennials? And that just sounds cheesy, <laughs> Nick. I just don't roll that way. So let's go do it this way sure. instead. Hosta. Too many, too often. What's your take? Too many. Deer bait. Yep. 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 Hellebores. Love them. Hate them. Need more of them. Uh, people don't care because they bloom in a time uh, where maybe there's snow. What do we think? Uh, love some of the older varieties. Some of the new ones I'm concerned about hardiness. Okay. What are the older ones you like? Oh, well, I love photitis. I mean, mm. the, the stink. God bless Hellebore. Nick. God bless oh, Nick gosh. for selling Hellebores photitis. Oh my gosh. One of the best plants. This is my go-to. Why? Absolutely. Why? Okay. So. There's a couple of cultivars of it over in Europe mm-hmm. that I've seen. I can't get them, Nick. No, no, you can't. You can't get them. Right. I'll grow some for you. Let's go yeah, for real. Out. For real. Like there's one. I think it's called like silver linings or something, and it's yeah. got like a really nice mar- uh, red margin yeah. on the flower. Yeah. And I and see this is why I became a grower. This that's is it. why I became a grower. That's it. Well, I-, I see people post it on the gram. And then I'm like, yeah. I reach out to grower friends and they're like, yeah, we don't have that. No, we don't have that. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. well, good are you people? I mean, come on, yeah. let's, let's no. do something with yeah. our lives. Yeah, Hellebore's Photitis. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a fantastic choice. Ferns. Um, I, I, I think underused. I think we need to use way more of that. I love them. Um, I, you know, it's a, one of those ones that's hard to, uh, People have to use them the right way, right? They have to be a little bit educated on how to plant them, where they where they thrive. So yeah, ferns, thumbs up. Hydrangeas. Hmm. Is it com- uh, as a broad, becoming, broad becoming huge, becoming hucris? Mm. that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think people, it is, it is fine. I love seeing your limelight hydrangea. It's very yeah. cute, but you know, yeah. we've, we've we've now we've swung the other direction oh, where yeah. macrophylla is no longer visible at all. And now yeah. all we're seeing is paniculata in our oh process. And it's and just that like swung so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I visited the, the um, landscape arboretum in, in Minnesota and they have a great 
trial garden of, of hydrangeas. If you want, go there this time of year, right now. You're going to see the winners. And you're going to see the losers really quickly. Because there are certainly ones that do fantastic. There are some that should not be on the market anymore. Roses, you already mentioned. Yes. Okay. Do you think there is still a place for roses in a garden? Yeah. And are those roses knockout roses? <laughs> From my personal taste, they're not knockout roses. No. Um, yeah, there's certainly a spot. There are fantastic. They're fantastic climbers. They are fantastic native. You know, I still love Rosa rugosa. I mean, I love, I love it. Um, absolutely. I, again, we need to we need to look back um, some of the straight species. Um, you know. We do, we, we plant some David Austin roses and sometimes they are amazing and there's nothing like the smell of a rose. I, my great, my grandmother would grow a rose called Lincoln. And to this day, if I smell a rose, like it takes me back to my childhood and my summers with my grandma. So yeah, we need to. Yeah. I, I think they're perfectly fine. They're a hell of a lot of work. I don't plant a whole garden of them. Right. That that's but, man, from, from someone who grows 500 of them, Nick, I can, yeah. I can completely agree with that yeah. statement. And yeah. I, I think what's so interesting is like you brought up Rosa Ragosa and a lot of people don't know this. Um, and people from David Austin will probably send an assassination team after me after saying this out loud, <laughs> but uh, many of David Austin's breeding work was to yeah. Rosa Ragosa. Yeah. And it's such a a super tough as nails rose. Tough as in yeah. you know, even in like Long Island they use it, along coastlines yeah. a lot of times. Like it has all this versatility. Are there any cultivars specifically that come to your mind that you've used over the last, you know, few years that you've seen you know, performance and beauty or at least decently even? Not that, not that I can think of. I, I'm sure it, it. Truthfully, they're escaping me if if they are, if there are, um, you know. But I think that's something that, that's a plant that needs to be explored more. Yeah, right? I mean, like Olivia Rose Austin, folks. I keep telling you guys this. You see me on the gram, I'm walking around. You see me showing a rose, and I always tell you, I go, listen. There's only one of them that I would recommend to anybody. It's like mm -hmm. they're as far as like, hey, I if you're gonna tell me you're gonna garden, I have a list of like 500. But yeah. if you're going to tell me eh, no, a couple of times a year, I want to do something. Yeah. Olivia yeah. Rose Austin is the only one I can put yeah. a seal of approval and say, this rose sure. has good performance. The rest of yeah. them, not as much. Yeah. All right. Last question here. Last plant. I already condemned myself to this answer in admitting to the fact that I have all these cultivars of it here already. <laughs> Japanese maples. Yeah. Are we commoditized? Do we see them everywhere? Uh, is it over? Yeah, I, I think some of the red leaf, certainly, I mean. I don't think the world needs any more blood goods, right? I, I think that's certainly the case. I mean, my I have been on buying trips to Oregon, and I've been to the Japanese maples nurseries, and boy, you get you get starry eyed real quick when you get there, and you think you need a semi truckload of them, right? I mean, there are shrub Japanese maples, there are trailing Japanese maples, there are such different, amazing, amazing, you know, cultivars out there that need to be explored, and um. Gosh, if I, you know, it, I, there, it's almost, you know, the, some of the red leaves are certainly Stella Doro de Lily and Knockout Rose, you know, contender. They, they exist in a landscape together, and that's the anchor on the corner. That with, with the river birch, with the, you know, a, a, the river birch, you know, that's, it's like the go-to. So, yeah, I, 
come on, people, let's push the envelope it, it's, here. It's a little bit, for, for those of you that don't know, what Nick just described is my horror. Because I, I had a five-year run, people, where I would walk into independent garden centers with this cultivar list of all these things that we grew. And the feedback was, how many green giants you got coming up this year? Yeah. How, yeah. You got, how many how many blood goods are you going to have? What's the caliper yeah. on the blood goods going to be this year? And I'm like, but, 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 but we have all of these guys that are way better plants. Nick, that was a fantastic lightning round here. Last question for you. Yes. Where do you see your own work going in the future? Are there things that, you know, you're really excited about from a plant perspective or just sort of like you already mentioned that you think that, you know, social media might have a positive influence. Just where where do you see your own creative work going? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, complete, you know, my whole goal is to to get the word out on, you know, perennials that are hardy as sin are fantastic perennials with no effort, no effort. I take that back with little input and tremendous output. Right. So my goal is to keep, you know, pushing the envelope as far as that's concerned and getting specific plants out there into the world and, and turning um, maybe landscapers into gardeners is, is my goal. And, you know, one of my major things is that a garden needs to give back in some way, right. It's, it doesn't need to be just for us. And so, you know, be, to be a food source for, you know, the, the migratory birds and the bees and butterflies, like, like we need to give back folks. We need to get rid of lawn. We need to not completely, but, you know, turn your garden into a living thing that it's, that it is and, and see it as, as something that is, is beautiful and is living. And, you know, yeah, that's, that's my whole goal is to just keep pushing that envelope. ties of these old abandoned rails wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own and I try to empathize with all they bear there's something about the sun that brings me back to life It's just like staring in your eyes And I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way state of mind But that's not not for me to Wrong, but 
It's for you to 